What's going on, boys and girls? We have a terrific episode of Two White Lights for you today. Today is that special Thursday episode where I am joined by my co-host, Steve DeNovi, and we talk about some things in powerlifting. First, we give our bench arch rebuttal based on the information presented in that Candido Noriega video where they propose that powerlifting should incorporate a new bench rule where... There is a grip for different weight classes, and it increases the range of motion, thus showing a greater exertion of force, and me and Steve still oppose that video based on everyone jumping on the bandwagon, even though them presenting great arguments that got a lot of people to turn around on their opinions. Me and Steve are staying strong and still saying we oppose it. We present our viewpoints this episode, and probably not the last time we're going to talk about this. This is a contentious debate of powerlifting, and it's not the first time it's happened, so Again, we were talking about it. We couldn't fit it last episode because the last episode ran a little long. Now we're talking about it. And again, probably not the last time we're going to hear about it. So we start off the episode like that. Then we get to our two white lights topic. How many of these teen phenoms will still be relevant in three to four years? We posted on two white lights page. And the comment section, surprisingly, a lot of people are in unison that no, not all of these teen phenom lifters will stay relevant in three to four years which I kind of found surprising. I understand the factors that go along with it. Me and Steve discuss all the issues that teen lifters can face throughout their journey. Uh, We offer just a whole wide variety of potential situations that could possibly hinder a teenager's progress and not live up to the hype that they promise. But at the same time, we also talk about really successful teenage lifters who have been teenage, teenage phenoms and then transition that into a great open career and current teen lifters that we think can do that. So really good, interesting conversation there. Very good two white lights topic. I love when a topic gets contentious, where there's a lot of debates and a lot of people have real, real harsh opinions on it. So we accomplished that with that topic. And also we close out the show with a kind of a surprising announcement, pretty big announcement, Texas Strength Systems has a primetime session for their meet, the Texas Strength Classic. And I got to give Steve DeNovi credit because I truly believe that his Midwest primetime meet has motivated other meet directors in the USAPL to have a primetime session. And we talk about maybe potential breaking down the meet, talking more about the meet, hyping the meet up as we go along. Uh, Again, the reason why they have primetime is there's a lot of really great lifters and it's going to be a highly competitive meet. So we close off the show like that and possibly you're going to hear a lot more in the next i think i think it's five weeks out so we got a lot we got a lot to research and a lot to cover with that so really exciting stuff there but of course before we get into that got to talk to you guys about left floor bros ladies and gentlemen go to leftlarbros.com and get yourself some merchandise and if you want to see the merchandise check out left floor bros on instagram give them a follow because you get to see the designs. You get to see the Leflar family continuously grow. You get to see more lifters wearing their merchandise. And the reason why more lifters are wearing the merchandise is because it's fucking awesome. It's amazing. I love the merchandise. Unique designs for the strength lifting community, the powerlifting community, the strength athlete community. All those communities combined into one. And they make those designs that are going to make you look good. They are going to make you... And on top of that, they have Two White Lights merchandise. Yeah, that's right. Go on leftlarbros.com. That's the only way you're going to get Two White Lights merchandise. We're talking shirts. We're talking the original logo, the Fight Night logo, the banner. They have that. And you can get this all 
for a little bit of a cheaper price if you use that promo code 2WL15. Now, the promo code used to be 2WL10, and we added that 2WL15 so you guys can save more money because that's how much we love you, and that's how much you guys need to be wearing Leffler Bros merchandise. So, again, 2WL15. Use that at checkout, and you get 15% off of your order. Also, go to Rivalist.net. Get your informed choice supplements. Remember, green checkmark, important for you drug-tested lifters. A lot of people listen to the show. You don't want to break a drug test. Don't do it. Don't be taking tainted pre-workouts. We talked about a few team lifters who might have taken a tainted pre-workout. Rivalist got you covered on that because it's informed choice. Again, that's going to be really important for you guys. So remember, Rivalist.net. Use promo code ANGELO15. Get 15% off of your informed choice supplements. Also, visit Stoic.net. Check that, Lift.net, to get yourself some Stoic gear. I only wear Stoic gear in the gym and on the platform. They just released those Olive Drab, the white label. They got the black label. They got the original logo on there as well. All that stuff is available on Lift.net. I love their gear. I only wear it on the platform and in the gym, and I wouldn't be wearing it if I didn't love it. Love the singlets, love the wrist wraps, love the knee sleeves. Use promo code ANGELO10 to save yourself some money. Get 10% off. Use that promo code at discount ANGELO10. Don't forget it. Also, get yourself to Notorious Lift Slippers. Visit their Instagram page. Make sure you sign up for their newsletter because remember, they got no-slip drip slippers and so many different designs. But again, you cannot go to Notorious Lift and just buy all the designs willy-nilly. You just got to go, sign up for that newsletter, get on that drop, make sure you get it on time, don't want to miss out on the drop, and get yourself some no-slip drip. I wear them when I deadlift, I even wear them when I bench. I switch from squat shoes to slippers, they're my preferred choice, and I really haven't gone back. I've only used Notorious Lift slippers, I absolutely love them, and of course, they make me look good on the platform, and that's that's like 90% of it for me, is looking good on the platform. So again... Make sure you are following Notorious Lift and sign up for that newsletter, people. Also, follow on Spotify, subscribe on iTunes, make sure you download the episode, make sure you give a five-star rating, and make sure you leave a review. Those are all important for us at Two White Lights. And now, here it is, Two White Lights. January 28th, I am joined with Steve DeNovi, and last week we talked a little bit about that bench arch debate, King of the Lifts released a podcast about the bench arch, the great debate, alluded to the uh, Johnny Candido, Sean Noriega video, and right now it's kind of losing steam, it's kind of losing yeah. steam the bench arch, uh, and the, uh, the proposed IPF rule change for bench. Yeah, it was a, it was a hot topic for a week. Maybe we're going to bring it back. Maybe we don't even want to bring it back, but I guess we are. We're going to have a little rebuttal. Yeah, because, again, we see the video, and we have other Fist of Fry this episode, too, but that was surfaced with Johnny Candido and the, the, the IPF rule change, and we still found ourselves disagreeing with most of it. 
Mm-hmm. Like there were some parts that was very well ar- articulated and argue- argued. I definitely give Candido that credit. But we're not the bandwagon jumpers that really completely jumped ship and are like, yes, absolutely, IPF, USAPL needs to change the rules. We're still sticking by our points. And I think until more videos surface from Candido Noriega, I still find that what we said on the prior uh, episode, I think that was at this point, two and a half weeks ago, stands. We still believe those things. Yeah. And like I said, great video. Very, very valid topics. Um, And it it got you thinking for a little bit, but I think got me thinking. And as the more I thought about it, the more I kind of went back to know, I I probably don't agree with that stance. And honestly, I think it's one good thing that we're bringing up the the points we have now, because I'd love to hear their rebuttal on it as well. It's good to kind of go back and forth because obviously they have their stance. We have our stance. Um, both sides, I mean, have a, have a following that's going that route. And it would be just kind of a, a good topic to go back and forth on to see. Um, I mean, if there's going to be a possible fix, the more interaction back and forth is the better. If there's not a possible fix, at least it's some fun content to go back and forth about because that's what we need in powerlifting is some fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what what are your rebuttals to this? Because I think you always give a more antiquated stance on things where – I usually just go based off of emotion and very little logic, where you are almost the exact opposite of me in that sense. So what what issues did you see with Candido's video? I've got three main ones that I don't believe that the grip width fixes and if anything causes some issues. And my number one biggest one is I would argue that a grip width change like that actually negatively impacts more people who get no advantage really from anything and probably suck at benching aka like me mm-hmm. and it actually fixes any kind of advantage for a very small population yeah uh, i mean there's a very small population with these super high arches now yes our body proportions different at lower weight classes so therefore grip proportions are different based off of body that is true but like that's i'm going to get to that point later of like is it truly an advantage but the fact is, is like, there's probably a, just a, a select few people that really get enough of an advantage where they're competitive, where it negatively impacts a lot of different lifters. Like for myself, I have very long arms. I use max grip width and it looks like I'm doing a close grip bench press because mm-hmm. I have long arms and it, 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 I still have tons of range of motion. I, I legitimately not sure I could bench with pinkies on the ring without developing issues. Like if I did that right now, I would have posterior shoulder pain. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe I can work into that and, and fix it, but I, I can almost guarantee I could not handle near the volume to get the, the same strength as I could with the wider grip. And for me, the wider grip is natural. It's, it's what would be the grip for most people on pinky. So that, that's my biggest issue there is I think there's more people it negatively impacts than it actually in sense fixes in the sense of the arch. And so, um, I mean, that's one of my rebuttals in the sense of kind of like some of the things Johnny brought up in the sense of basketball. The fixes to the big man that he kind of mentioned, well, those were only limiting the big man. They weren't punishing all the other players. Yeah. that That's a big thing there. Is I, I get his rebuttal in the sense of the, the basketball analogy, but the, the things he was pointing out was mainly things that just made sure the big guys like Wilt Chamberlain couldn't have this ridiculous advantage, but it didn't punish everyone else playing basketball. I think the grip width punishes a lot of other lifters and doesn't just punish the people who are kind of in sense as, as we're kind of talking about, it's just cheating the system with the crazy high arch and the, and the, and the big grip. Yeah. And well, and then uh, the, the example that he brought up on the video, I, I believe gold uh, goaltending was uh, bought up in basketball. And I'm like, that's 
I don't think a fair analogy because goaltending in basketball was a severe, unfair competitive advantage that made the game almost unwatchable. Mm -hmm. I don't think that could be held in the same regard as a bench charge. It just doesn't. And a lot of those other things that were suggested were later rescinded. Like the Wilt Wilt Chamberlain one, like, no, they, they rescinded that as the game developed. The goaltending one, like you, if we allow every player to do this, no points will be scored in basketball games. Like that's that's kind of the rule fix in that. Where in the bench arts uh, debates and the proposed rule change for the bench, it's not. It's not severely altering powerlifting competitions. It's not severely making the game one unwatchable and two completely unfair. So I, I understand why he used those, and I do, I do agree. Sports do develop rule changes as time goes on. We're seeing them now in, I mean, you could use football and baseball, for example, but I'm always on the side of logical rule changes, not just a rule change just because you want to do one. I think the second one, um, and this is probably more of a rebuttal, not in the sense of a rule change, but just like in the sense of like what I think is probably even more of an advantage is if we're saying grip width based on broad body proportion is too much of an advantage for lightweight lifters, I would argue sumo is more of an advantage based off of body proportion because um, I've literally have friends who are in the USPA. When I ask them why they say, I can't fit inside a stiff bar doing sumo. It's, it's, it's not wide enough because a deadlift bar is wider. Well, if you're a lighter weight past lifter, you now have more room to get a more kind of, uh, I don't want to say extreme, but a, a higher degree of external rotation and, and, and wider stance based on your body proportions than you can with kind of the heavyweight lifters. And I would argue that that's probably more of an advantage than bench width, but I'd still argue it's not that much of an advantage. I think this is probably a good segue into the uh, Excel spreadsheet I made. Yeah. I went and took um, all of the top three totals for each weight class in, off of open IPF for all affiliates, just the best, not world records per se, but the best numbers, um, which sometimes are done to local meets from all the weight classes and men and women. If the bench arch or the grip width was giving lightweight lifters a significant advantage, we should be, see a disparity there. Like we should see those numbers of what they're totaling being closer percentage wise. And then more of a disparity as we get to heavyweights, we see the opposite. If I'm doing, I mean, it's hard to explain there and kind of see the exact numbers, but if we're looking at like men, 116, 130, 145 to 163, those super lightweight weight classes, there's about a 10% disparity between weight class. So every weight class goes about 10% on total. Once we get to 163 to 183 to 205 to 231, it drops to about a 5% disparity. Okay. Now there, there's an argument that I can see a counter argument is one, those weight classes in the middle have a larger talent pool. So we're going to probably see a little less disparity because there's, there's less outliers and closer together. Um, and then two, a 10 kilo jump in body weight. So 183 to like 205 percentage wise is less of a jump in body weight than 145 to 163. Just mm-hmm. if you divide them. But even with that, I would still argue that if it was such a competitive advantage, we'd see at least those lighter weight classes matching the disparity. Maybe not in, like not, not like a reverse disparity, but like, at least they're matching like that five-ish percent disparity, but we're not. They're 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 legitimately about a ten percent disparity, and that also goes for the women as well. The ninety-four to one hundred three to one fourteen to one twenty-five, 
all have about a 10% disparity. And then we see 130. This is a little, this is a little weird because it included the new weight classes. So these new weight classes don't have true totals. They just have people who weighed in at this weight at some point, 135 to 152 to 167 to 185. Um, if we take out the 167, which is the new weight class, and that's where the numbers are kind of skewed, it's the same thing. It's about a 4% disparity. So my argument there is if it was truly an advantage, we shouldn't see that. We should see the opposite, or we should see it being pretty even because those lighter weight classes get such an advantage with their grip arch that they're able to put up disproportionately larger totals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. And again, I, I think... Just based on, I don't even think you need to really throw in a whole lot of research on this. Just based on what we see from powerlifters, it just feels like not a lot of people have an extreme competitive advantage when it comes to a bench arch or when it comes to the severely inhibiting or uh, yeah, severely inhibiting their range of motion on the bench. I, I think the, the, the main argument, which is something that I could agree with, is it is the best way to show an exertion of strength is if you limit the range of motion. That's really the only argument I see from them that I'm like, okay, yeah. I, I mean, I could like that it, we are powerlifting. We are trying to build strange sports. We're trying to show how strong we are. So let's develop a rule that actually shows how strong we are. But I feel like most people do that already. That's a problem. I think we're, I think we're doing it. I think that we're accomplishing that goal. I think the few outliers are not doing that, which again goes back to the original point are you going to make a rule change that only a few people have advantage on and i think this goes back to what is sport in football that would be like i I agree like if we're just saying what is purely strength uh, a super short range of motion probably isn't the best tell of that per se kind of like let's just say gym lift but this is a sport this is power lifting in football it's not a pure uh display of athleticism yeah there's other things involved. There's people like, is Tom Brady the most athletic person in the NFL? No. Now he plays a quarterback that's more skill-based. But even within that, there's people like, if we're just going athleticism, like, then that means Randy Moss should just be the greatest player of all time and there shouldn't be any comparison. There's no other wide receiver that can even be close to him. But we see wide receivers that maybe can't match his athleticism that are able to make up in some kind of skill component or some type, I don't want to say cheating the system, but finding ways of loopholes of route running and little things that they yeah. do to be able to find competitive advantage. That's just sport. That, that's it, we, it's it, no sport ever is going to be pure in testing one simple trait, yeah. AKA strength in powerlifting. There's going to be people that are trying to find loopholes of how can I find competitive advantage? And that's going to be any sport ever. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would, I would agree. You, you learn to play the game. Right in the NFL, you learn to play how the game is played. So when you do that, you're going to make adjustments and you're going to make yourself more competitive. I that is how sports work, absolutely. But in the I think within the YouTube video, they are defining it based on what IPF wants to accomplish or what the USAPL wants to accomplish, and that's the exertion of strength and carry over to other sports. Which I mean, that was I'm loosely quoting the YouTube video. But that's, I believe, the the gist of it. And when you severely inhibit the range of motion you have on bench, it doesn't have any carryover to other sports as far as strength training goes. But here's the thing. When I see those things worded by the IPF and USAPL, it's, it's subject to change. Originally, yes, that was their goal, and then things have changed. Like, people... Uh, sports organizations go through a transition of what they want to accomplish with their sport organization. So 
I don't think using that quote from the IPF and USAPL is the most valid thing you could possibly do when trying to develop something that would change the rule on one specific lift. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't have any issue with sumo. I don't want it to change, but if you're going strictly on transference to other sports, a super wide stance, short range of motion sumo. Yeah. You aren't going to probably see an NFL athlete doing that. They're going to do trap bar conventional deadlift. They're probably going to do trap bar because trap bar tends to actually, actually be more transferable to actual sport. Yeah. Strength and conditioning realm of things. They don't sumo deadlift, especially a super wide stance one. So like, it's just, it's different. I, yeah. Like I said, I think there's, there, they might've had that and it's kept it, but it's changed into more of a sport, which then sport develops its own rules and what it's going to be. And it, it's not powerlifting is it's, uh, it's, 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 we are a standalone sport trying to compete for the ability of a highest one rep max in whatever way we can do that from moving from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. Then with that last point there, uh, mainstream success. That was probably my biggest issue with the video because they they alluded to it very briefly. It's they just kind of said, "Yeah, it's going to help mainstream success," and I'm like, well, "How? How how would it actually help mainstream success?" You just said it, and more people would be like, "Okay, this doesn't look as stupid." Granted, but I don't think people are being driven away from the sport because of super small range of motion bench presses. I really don't think that. Um, I think people would still find issues with just any sort of bench arch. If they see an arch arch in your back, they don't, uh, they don't like it. Yeah. We'd have to get rid of the arch because it's, it's, people are still going to be annoyed by that. Cause I mean, like my wife, she has an arch, every single post she makes of her bench press, someone's going to say, you're going to hurt your back. That's terrible for you. It's just, it's just going to happen. Even though she actually has a fairly long range of motion because she's got long arms too. So yeah, I agree. I, I know Johnny's working on possibly seeing kind of like the viewing stream. Um, that'll be interesting to see, but I, I'm not sold on that. It's going to affect viewership. And it, that, that could might we are using the analogy. Like if those kind of things hurt viewership, CrossFit would never be successful. Like yeah. CrossFit's literally, a bunch of meme exercises put into a workout that then somehow became mainstream and highly successful. So um, I, we have one more point there before kind of looking at kind of like I, I made some points of what I think could possibly be fixes if we really mm-hmm. wanted to move forward with this. The other one, um, I was already thinking this. I know Arian Kamisi, I think, brought this up um, in some things as well. It would just be hard to judge. Yeah. Like there's, there's at a local meet, now at a national meet, or a world-level meet where everyone is in the same weight class in a flight, it would be a little bit easier. But at a local meet where you're going back and forth between weight classes in a flight, you've literally got to try and think for every weight class, where is their finger supposed to be on the neural marker? And then see if you can even see that. Because right now the rule is the index finger. That's very obvious if there's a gap there. We can see that. Everything's open. Mm-hmm. But if it's ring finger, like how are we going to – it's going to be covered up. It's going to be – it's just going to be a manipulation. Now people are going to find ways to bend the rule where just they, – they kind of look like they're on their, their ring finger on the neural marker, but you, they're not really because you can't see it. It would just be a hard thing to judge. It would be easier to judge than the humorous to depth. That, that judging-wise, that just can't happen. That, that, that would be unbelievably hard for not only the subjectivity, but only one referee would be in viewpoint. The side refs would have to change their viewpoint and then they can't look at butt coming off the ground and all their butt coming off the bench. But even the side judges on the, uh, the, the ring finger and the pinky finger, all that, that's hard to see from a side judge view. Like that's the, you have a very little perspective of what you can see there. It's really only the head judge able to see that. So 
it would just be a hard thing to judge. It would just, yeah, it would just be tough as a state ref myself. I mean, there's, there's different perspectives here. As a state ref myself, that would be a very hard thing to judge, especially at a local meet. Yeah, I, for sure. I had this conversation too. And personally, I think that you can, you can accomplish that through their setup. Just have the head judge get close to the bar and see on their setup, if they're setting up properly and see if there's any hand movement after that. I think that that's doable. That's possible. But the, the issue is, there's going to be some weight classes that are easier to judge than others. That ring finger is going to be hard. It is going to be difficult to see how many people, like, and how strict do you want to be with that? Like, yeah. is it that big of a deal if it's the ring finger or the pinky or the middle finger? Like, how strict do you really want to make that rule? And then it, if you're talking about mainstream viewership, that'll be a pain in the ass for mainstream viewership of a head judge telling the lifter, no, put your finger in. No, no, a little bit yeah. more, a little bit more. Someone who's never watched powerlifting, having no idea why, is that would be a very hard concept to follow. Like, I get the bar goes down and it goes up. Like, yeah. that's pretty simple. Like, it would be hard to then understand the fingers thing. So, um, the possible fixes, again, I still don't think anything should be done, but I think between some things that either I thought of or I saw kind of put out there, there's only two that I thought would be kind of suffice and I couldn't argue against completely. It wouldn't negatively impact anyone else. It wouldn't be hard to judge. It would be a super simple thing that could apply to all weight classes. The first one is your butt has to stay down as soon as you touch the bar. Yeah. Uh, now people will probably figure out how to get around that and still get a super crazy arch, but it would, it would probably limit it to an extent because a lot of how you can get on that arch is really kind of elevating those hips and rolling onto those upper traps and onto that back of your neck. If your butt's on the bench, it would be a little bit harder to do that. Yeah. Um, as soon as you touch the bar, because usually you're using that bar to kind of leverage yourself. Um, so that I think could be a valid thing. I think that would limit the potential to arch and at least make it harder to do. But I think people would still probably find a loophole. But if, if they um, implemented that rule, I probably wouldn't be like, eh, that's not fair. I wouldn't say it's not fair. I say, okay, we all have to do that now. That seems like a thing that's widespread. Now all of us have to follow this rule. And that seems like it, it somewhat kind of helps the situation. Yeah, no, that's uh, I heard that proposed rule as well as, opposed to the grip changes and again i find myself just disagreeing with it because like you said i think people can find a way to have a super big arc on their bench limiting the range of motion without putting their ass or putting their feet up on the bench there'll be someone who figures this out who's just more flexible yeah. than the other person and then that completely negates what candido noriega trying to push across which is showing the bench press is a full exertion of strength so it doesn't it doesn't solve anything there with with that with that possible rule change so the other one and i actually think this one because i think there's only one person and this is the this is the one that keeps getting used i believe this is the one that was used in their video that's ridiculous is i don't believe this is not a rule in the rule book i'm pretty sure i might be wrong there's not a rule that the elbows must break and there must be downward motion of the bar because that person who's in that video all they do is they roll their yeah. wrist back with their elbows locked they touch their chest and they roll their wrist back i agree but that's only one person, but they probably, because it's, it's kind of like one of those rules that you think is implied that the elbows have to break and there has to be downward motion of the bar. You think that's implied until someone just kind of breaks the system, AKA um, the centers in basketball. you never had a guy who's seven foot four and then all of a sudden it happens and he breaks the system and he just stands at the rim and just blocks it with his hand. Crap. We have to change that rule. So we have this one person who rolls their wrist to complete a rep and they don't break their elbows we thought that was just something that you're supposed to do. We didn't think we had to make a rule on it. 
I would say that there probably just needs to be a rule that the elbows must break and there must be downward motion of the bar. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, even with that person, it's like, when is the actual bench press happening? Like, is there going to be is there going to be a start command even given? Is a press command going to ever be given? It's like, mm-hmm. with that with that one specific example, that, that person self, in thinking they have this, like, high, high competitive advantage, actually, it could work against them, where they're just holding a bench press for a super long time because the people don't know if it's set or not. They don't get a start command or they just never get a press command because no one saw anything move and they can't tell if it's on the test or not. So I think yeah, just uh, even in that sense, like it's not exactly the most, it's not the, the biggest competitive advantage you could have because it's so unique that it, it could potentially hurt people. I think, I think we see that with a few squats where like people try to really use a unique wide stance squat where their knees don't seem to be all the way locked out and they never get a start command. They have to restart their squat, re-rack it, and then go back out. Yeah. Well, we kind of talked about this. Any of these kind of like specialized form things that you people do um, to be able to find an advantage, they have their downfalls. All of them have their downfalls and their risks that are associated with them. So that's that's part of it. Is like if you're going to try these things that have high reward, they tend to come with high risk as well. Yeah. So I think I think they're already being punished in the sense of that high risk, in the sense of kind of how rules play out. Is they're they're risking the fact that like I mean I think it was Eddie Berglund or Owen Hubbard, one of them. Um, I think they almost bombed out at Worlds two years ago because if they don't hit that perfect on their bench press and they dump it just a touch. They all of a sudden go, they can't bench. They, they can't hit it at all. I think it was Eddie Berglund almost bombed out. And then he finally got his third right with the pattern and he hit it perfect. But that's that's the high risk of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. It, it's, it's. I, I think as far as competitive advantages go, I think that's the weakest argument that is presented to me. Um, I, I can listen to a lot of arguments like for that rule change. But as far as competitive edge, like I just need to see it become a widespread problem before I get on board with any of it. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, I find myself, I find myself agreeing with very, very little of, you know, what's presented in a YouTube video. But again, I said it, you know, the, the past week, if Candido and Noriega want to come on and do a little panel debate on this, I would, I would love to have them on. I know there's a potential second video that they might release, um, might, might be outlining that mainstream success, looking at the views. And I think if you do that, you also have to put into consideration squat and deadlift views just in general because mm-hmm. we might just be seeing that bench press isn't the most isn't going to be the most uh attractive thing for the audience so you might find that yeah. in any sort of research that people are just more interested in squat and bench anyway or squat and deadlift anyways yeah i mean i'm gonna use an example I didn't tune out when Owen Hubbard and Brett Gibbs were going back and forth for the bench world record. I think it was in 2018 or 2019. Mm-hmm. Brett obviously has a very normal looking bench press. Owen has a super high arch. I didn't tune out for it. I was glued to it wanting to see who came out on top. Yeah, but I'll take it one step further and say how many people were talking about that bench battle that they had. Yeah. Very little. Like, it's just in bench press in general, I just feel to me what I've seen of powerlifting meets. It's not the most riveting part of a powerlifting event. Because well, Owen, Owen's a great lifter, but he wasn't actually in the battle to win. Yeah. He was just in the battle for that bench press record, and then it went back to Brett versus Russ because that's what really mattered. And they, I think I forget. I think, they, I think Russ pulled for the win that year. Maybe that was a year that Gibbs won. I forgot if that was Canada or Sweden, which one that is. I'm thinking about. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it, deadlift is where it mattered because that's, that's who actually won. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So again, with like, uh, the, 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 the yeah, that, that's the, the special one I want to, that's just, especially I want to look at that one, just the main street viewership, because yeah. I'm just still on the standpoint that it's, it's nowhere, it's nowhere going to help the sport. It's not going to be like you fix, you fix a bench press rule and boom, the, uh, the, uh, a powerlifting is going to be in the same popularity as CrossFit overnight. Like it just, they want to make a video banning frog stance deadlifts because apparently for one person, it has this extreme competitive advantage. I'm for that because one person is getting a clear advantage and it's unfair for everyone else in powerlifting. So frog stance should go away. Yeah. And then I would go on the flip side and be like, Hey, Ina has a much better leverage than me on deadlift. His arms are much longer than me. He broke my deadlift record. Let's, let's find a way to make his range of motion greater because I have to, my great range of motion is much higher than his. So why does he get the record and I don't? So we can go back and forth on that all day. And same thing, I mean, like, I love how Noriega could be the extreme to all the rules. It's like, I don't think you could be that wide on your squat. Yes. My, one of my favorite, this is a random tidbit, but one of my, I've, I've heard this from people is like, why haven't you fixed like all of his lifts yet? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, well, he still has like a crazy arch and he's still squatting really wide. I was like, okay, like, why haven't you fixed that? Have you seen how much he lifts? Like, why would I fix that? Yep. That's the first thing you could do. He literally found what works for him and he does it. You found what works for you. Like, why? I mean, I've gotten that multiple times from multiple people. I'm like, I I don't really know what you mean by fixing him. Like, you want me to make him a worse lifter? I can make him a worse lifter. I can just, I can just completely tank his total by yeah. trying to change everything yeah a little yeah i guess a little inside baseball talk here because me and joe sullivan uh had a talk about this recently because he's trying to narrow stance sumo now and he says he really liked it and it's, it's hilarious because it came full circle uh because he always hated how i deadlifted and uh he made fun of it constantly but when we were talking I'm like really i'm like we didn't change the stance per se very similar to you and noriega we didn't change the stance we changed the way how I deadlifted. Like the way I was creating leverage was good. It was just, I'm like, if you look at what we started with at the time and what we are now, it's actually a completely different deadlift. My hip hinge is different. How I wedge is different. How I brace is different. It's, it's a completely different movement, but we didn't get rid of the wonky weird stance mm-hmm. that stayed the same. Like, Noriega, it's like, no, don't get rid of something that's making him the number two best 83 kg lifter in the world right now, or in the USAPL. Keep it the same. Make changes with other things that can make him a better lifter. Uh, yeah. People don't like to see you, like, like when they see something extreme, they hate it. That's the problem. Like, that's why Noriego, if we're talking about rule changes, he's like the extreme to all of them. Mm-hmm. Like, because there's not too many people who are that, at, that wide with their squat. There's definitely no one um, in the USAPL that I know of who has this bench arc like him. And there's he's super, super wide and explosive on his deadlift. So he's like the extreme to every single rule. Yeah. Where it looks like Noriega is about to smash every deadlift because of how, how like explosive he is and how the bar just leaves the floor. And then just it's, it's that lockout that really gets there. So it's yeah. super technical with everything. Yeah, for sure. And it doesn't help that, like, Russ is the polar opposite of all of those. Yeah. <laughs> like, he has the most just normal squat, normal bench, and he's a conventional deadlifter. So he's, like, the most normal in the sense of, like, what you think 
a lift should look like, and then Sean's the extremes. But that's why it makes it fun, though. Yeah. Again, mainstream. It's way more fun seeing those two go out with each other with such a different styles, yet being very similar in strength, than it would be if everyone just looked the same and they did the same things over and over. It's, it's, I, I think it makes it more appealing. I think that makes any sport more appealing is having these extremes. Yeah, well, I mean, the mainstream viewer might want to see a little bit more of an ass-to-grass squat, and uh, Russ really doesn't do that. So so maybe the mainstream viewer won't like that as much. But on to some more topics that ruffled some feathers. The two highlights topic of the week, which was bought on to me today, Wednesday. It was bought on to me today, and it was a really good topic because it is a hot take in powerlifting about these super fucking strong teenage lifters and one why the hell are they so strong why are people this strong at the age of 16 through 20 and then the other question that is quickly asked can they keep it up three or four years can these young phenoms keep up their progress and there's always a source of debate for this one and we threw the discussion topic onto white lights page how many of these teen phenoms will still be relevant in three to four years and based on the comments very fair question because a lot of people are just flat out saying no none of them are going to be relevant i disagree with that i think there's going to be definitely some teenage lifters who remain relevant but if you look at some of the comments the stance on the side of no we're not going to see a large portion of these teenage lifters continue with the sport of powerlifting or compete at a high level is very high in, in, in this comment section. Yeah, and I think that's a question. So we're going we're gonna to talk about it and we're going to have opinions, but I think it's a question that no one knows the true answer to yet because yeah. this is a new evolution in the sport. Did we have teens before? Yes, but the majority of the powerlifters we see nowadays and the top lifters barring a few – were transferred over from bodybuilding or other sports because of the, the main, I don't say mainstream, but the popularity rise of powerlifting over the last five or six years brought people doing other things over to powerlifting. And a lot of it came from bodybuilding originally. So we don't have too many people that were early special specialization in powerlifting where they started mm-hmm. powerlifting when they were 16 and they're still doing it now and they're world champions. I think we have three people that we can kind of allude to that are that kind of classification right now. And that's, Ashton Rushka, um, Austin Perkins is kind of currently in that phase. That he's just so strong as like a teen and a junior that he's already the second best 74 in the world. And then Sean, Sean's a good example of someone who was a teen lifter and now is phased out of the juniors and is still very relevant, one of the best lifters in the world. But it's something we'll have to see. Like we have way more teens doing this now and starting early. How many of them will continue? And I think one of the analogies to kind of look at um, that'll kind of then go back to a lot of the points we're going to make is it's similar to the UFC. When the UFC first started, it was people coming from karate and jujitsu and uh, kickboxing that specialized in those and they kind of transferred over. But now we're starting to see the people who actually, because now the UFC has been around for 10, 20 years or however long it's been, we now see people who actually did early special specialization of like, I'm training for the UFC, but when I'm a teenager and we're seeing them now come to fruition, but they're still not really coming to fruition is like if we look at like the champions that are in this phase of starting out as a UFC fighter from the get-go they're not peaking until they're like in their late 20s to early 30s we're not we're not typically seeing these people in their early 20s peaking and winning we're seeing it later on and that's where the biggest thing comes in is like are people going to be able to last that long Mm -hmm. when there's no money yeah 
because that was one of the points brought up. Like, are people going to do this for the next 10 to 15 years and there's no money? Now, you're going to have outliers like Ashton and Sean and, and Perkins who can, like, win nationals just because they're, they're, they're gifted enough um, to be able to do that at a young age. But, I mean, a lot of people are going to need to do this for the next 10-plus years to be able to be a national champion. Yeah, absolutely. That was a good analogy to bring up. But, I mean, I think, but still with that analogy... When you talk about early specialization, and that's that's a debate in of itself, because I've been asked this before, and people are saying that the early specialization is going to kill teenage lifters. And I'm like, okay, in some cases, yes, it can, and we will get onto the explanation on why soon, but how about like these teenage phenom tennis stars who are winning Wimbledon at the age of 20, who been... They had a te- they had a tennis rack in their hands since they were eight, and they were they were in the pros when they were fifteen, and they were and then twenty they were already primed for it. I it was like should we you know like hey no 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 don't do this because you're getting too good at it. We want like no we gotta let let them go let let them, let the bird fly like you gotta you gotta let them do that because they're special at something. I think with yeah. powerlifting it can be the same way, but the issue I see is. Is just, I guess, the error of a common 16 through 20 year old. And just, if we're not even we're taking powerlifting out of, out of context here, just completely remove the element of powerlifting. Just take a 16 and 20 year old male. They have a super non deserving sense of confidence and expectations that they set for themselves that are highly unrealistic most of the time. If you just talk to a 16 through 20 year old, you know this. They're just high in piss and vinegar at that time in their lives. That they think they're going to accomplish this at this given amount of time, and usually it's not that easy. Actually, 100% of the time it's not that easy. They don't understand the different roads they have to go down, the certain setbacks they're going to have. They just think like, oh, by the time I'm 23 years old, boom, I'm going to have it all figured out. Same thing, now, now add powerlifting to the context where – you see really good progress when you're like 16 years old or 17 years old, thinking, all right, national champion, open by the time I'm 19. Easy, this is going to happen because look at what I'm doing now at 16 and 17. Those guys weren't doing what I'm doing at 16 and 17, so my progress must be better than theirs. And then they get an injury. And then their numbers stagnate. Then... They're, uh, they've been posting a lot of things on Instagram and they realize that they got to keep on hitting singles to get that continuously flow of clout because, again, teenagers love attention. It's a fact. They do like it they, and they really enjoy that aspect of hype. What happens when that's gone too? Do you stick with it? And I, I think it, it's it's not even a knock to the teenage powerlifters. It's just a, it's, it's a regular... It's a regular thing teenagers go through. It's just having unrealistic expectations of what's going to happen to you. Yeah. Well, and teenagers are living a lifestyle that they're not going to continue living. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the number one point we saw in the comments, and this is my number one point as well for why, as a coach and seeing this myself, is why it's tough to like say, as a teenager, I'm going to be the phenom, the greatest ever by the time I'm X age. Um, when you're 16 to 18, you have not become yourself yet. Yeah. College changes you a lot. Um, you become a different person in college. You become have more responsibilities. You have a girlfriend. You have things you have to do that you didn't have to do before. That is a big change in lifestyle. And then 
four years at four years in the college, you graduate and you have to become an adult. Yep. And that's a big change in lifestyle. You have to get your own job. You might be getting married. You might be having kids. Um, there's a lot of things that happen over that lifespan that changes things um, and changes priorities um, and things like that. And so can you be a teen phenom and eventually become an open world champion? Yes. But there's a lot of things that are going to happen from the time you're 17 and as whole times that maybe you're 25 that you would have to be able to continue to prioritize powerlifting over because a lot of other things are going to be happening in your life and you're going to be changing because of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where the early specialization does become a problem because the, the example I bought in before, those people can make money off of the tennis. They can make a living off of the figure skating. They can make a money off of the soccer that they play when they're at the age of 18. In powerlifting, you can't. You have to do something else in order to earn some sort of income, or at the very least, you got to earn your degree, right? Or you got to be working a job. Uh, you can skip college altogether, go to a trade school, but you still got to work in a trade in order to make that money with powerlifting on the side. But the issue comes in, and I'm going to use my own personal experience here. I didn't get into powerlifting until I was 23 years old, and that was my last year of college. That was when I started to, I mean, my last year of college was the most stressful one. I had student teaching. I had no money. I was working a full-time job essentially without getting paid. That's really what student teaching is. You're working five days a week. You're doing all the grading on the weekends, not getting paid from it. You can't really have a job. And on top of that, I was lifting weights. But I kind of handled all the stress before that in my life. I went through the whole college experience without the other nagging issue of like, okay, Collegiate Nationals is this year. I got to go and compete at that. I got to find out travel. I got to find out how I'm going to get there. I got to find out how I'm going to get food while I'm down there. I didn't have to go through any of that. It was relatively easy. I work out in my commercial gym, then go to class. Like, I, I was lifting heavy, but I didn't have any expectations of being a competitive power lifter. I did my first, uh, my uh, APF Raw Nationals, or APF Just Nationals, when I was in the middle of my student teaching phase and really I had things figured out at that point and I, I I realized that today when we brought up this topic that I was I inadvertently was doing the right things and was actually setting myself up for more long-term success without even knowing it in the sport of powerlifting because it was powerlifting and then my professional career started to develop with powerlifting alongside it because they both happen at the same exact time where you look at teen phenoms it's not they're going from living to, you know, with their parents and them having everything provided for them into college where they also have to balance this super ultra competitive thing that they put on themselves and without any sort of financial backing for that. Yep. The one thing I'll say that it gives a better opportunity for these teenagers to develop is that it wasn't available five, six years ago is there are now scholarships to be a power mm -hmm. lifter in college. That that provides a big opportunity to be going to Midland or McKendree or I forget the one in Texas that has scholarships as well. That That's a big opportunity because not only does it have an opportunity to continue to do that in a, in a setting that's probably more professional, but two, it, it's, there's a sense of accountability there. Yeah. Um, 
when you when you have to be on this team, you are part of this team and with teammates and you're oversaw by a coach who's actually there with you. Um, there's a little bit more sense of accountability to kind of prioritize that when all these other life changes are happening and your personality is changing and, and all your, your views are changing. And all these things are changing your life. That does definitely help in kind of with that transition. Um, and the good thing is we see a lot of these team phenoms going to these schools, especially Midland, um, and they're able to develop them further so that they can kind of keep on that track. So I think that's going that definitely that that system is going to help to produce more people from this early specialization to world champions um, than it was in the past when that option wasn't available. Yeah, uh, for sure. And they also get to train the right way, not. And I know a lot of colleges really do emphasize that training the right way and not hitting unnecessary singles, maxing out randomly just because they want, you know, a king of the lifts repost or a powerlifting motivation repost, which in my opinion can be the death of a lot of really good powerlifters is the social media aspect of the sport. Um, I know I talk about a lot how it's a good thing, and I do look at it as an overall good, but for a young person, Again, take powerlifting out of the element. A young person, I would say social media is not the most healthy thing for them. And then when you throw powerlifting into the mix, it, it's, it, it can kind of get worse because mm-hmm. it's a little bit more it's a little bit more magnified when you throw in a sport that's specifically covered through Instagram and YouTube. Like that's it's a, it's a it's a, it's a social media sport. It's an Instagram sport. That's what it is. And once you get that taste of clout. And exposure, again, 18-year-olds, super impulsive. They're going to continue that because that's what 18-year-olds do. And that kind of goes with one of our points is like lifting for clout versus lifting for longevity is this is coming from a coach. If I've got a teen lifter who comes to me and they're in since early specialization, their training needs to look different than someone I have is who in their mid to late twenties, who has been lifting for 10 years, who is a fairly advanced lifter, who's trying to eke out every kilo possible to be top three at nationals. It's a different style of training. When you're that young, there's a higher priority on building the foundation for what's going to produce the best results later on. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those lifters are not thinking about that. They just care about what's happening now. And, and things such as that is like, these 70, we see a lot of these teenagers being 74 kilos. Are they actually going to be able to stay there? Like mm-hmm. one of the two big, the two biggest things at that age that you probably need to build to build the foundation to become a world champion is muscle and technique. If all you're doing is maxing out all the time and you're trying to stay in the same weight class, I'm not saying everyone needs to go up a weight class, but if that's what everyone's trying to do, which a lot of them do, you are limiting your potential and lifting for in the moment versus lifting to be the best lifter possible over time. Yeah. And that's something that's going to be old. That's going to stunt their growth. Um, and yeah, they're, they're, they're lifting for the moment versus lifting to what their true potential can be. Cause they're, they, they look, they, they're scared. They're 74 kilo and someone's telling them you're eventually going to be a 93 kilo lifter. And they're looking at these totals being like, I could never, ever do that. Mm-hmm. Not realizing those same lifters who are 93 kilos were probably thinking the same thing when they first started out too, but they, they had the bill. It just takes time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what kept me out of the sport for a long time or just really thinking about the sport because I wasn't aware like weight classes existed. I just assumed everyone was in equipment and super, super strong or super, super big. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be a power lifter. And the, but at the same time, if I actually knew like within my college experience that, yeah, you can be 175 pounds to be a really great competitive power lifter, it's a double edged sword because you can get yourself into powerlifting 
but also you're going to have the pressure to stay in that weight class because that's where you're most competitive and that's where you can be the most successful. And again, teenagers don't have a great long-term thinking mind. That, that, that is not developed when you're 18 years old. And I'm going to, I'm going to give them credit. Even power lifters in general don't have a good long-term thinking mind, but teenagers yeah. are worse with that. But power lifters in general don't have a great long-term thinking mind. So yeah, when you combine the two, it should be worse then, right? Based on just exactly. reasoning, <laughs> just if you combine yeah. the two, it's going to be really bad. And I think that again, that kills a lot of lifters is just not thinking for the long term, not thinking that I'm going to just use this time to continuously get stronger. And at a point I am going to reach a high level of the sport. They're just not thinking that far in advance. And and, it is, and I will give them credit. It is hard to think that way because if you are winning, if you are doing well, you you don't think you should do anything differently. It goes along with longevity and all these changes, a lot of things. is like the, these transitional periods unfortunately happen at times that are going to make things harder. So like when you graduate from college and become an adult, you are transferring from juniors to open. Yeah. That's a tough thing. That's also probably if you're early specialization about the time period where these newbie gains are going to stop and putting on 10 kilos to your total a year is an awesome feat of strength. And if you can keep doing that, you actually will be a national champion if that builds up over five or six years, but they age out from junior to open and they freak out because now all of a sudden I went from being a top three junior to now I can barely make prime time because now I got to be with the open boys. So they try and peak too early and try and force all of their progress into that teen and junior phase, thinking that's when they're going to be able to be great at what they do. Mm -hmm. Um, And just not having that long-term mindset of like, uh, this is like being the best teen. I'm going to give credit to a couple of lifters. I mean, one, I kind of see, our, like his main goal I see on Instagram is making prime time. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. It's Alex Sidor. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know how to pronounce his last name, but yeah, yeah he's one of uh, them. You don't see him, like, does he have clout? Yes, but you don't see him clout lifting. You don't see him YOLOing and going off program. You see him posting and bragging about his five rep set at a six RPE just as much as he does about his bigger lifts. Mm-hmm. Um, and he literally says, my goal is to be in prime time. and can be in the open lifters. His goal isn't, his goal is to win team three, but he pretty much kind of just knows he's going to win it. Like, or, or him and Aiden are going to battle for it. I think because I mean, they're both 83. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're the two guys, uh, but his goal, I think Aiden's goal too. Aiden's a great example of this. Their goal is to get into prime time and be competitive open. And I think a lot of teen and junior lifters should already be making that a goal versus just worrying about and thinking about, I just want to be the best teen lifter or the best junior lifter in the world. Because guess what? If you try and be the best open lifter and have that in mind, that that's your mindset over the next five to seven years, you probably will end up being the best teen or junior. Oh yeah, absolutely. I yeah, that, that those are two really good lifters to bring up. Um, and actually, that kind of brings just a little like just the thought that comes to my head. It's amazing what happens when you can combine that amount of confidence and that amount of determination with that age. Just mm-hmm. being able to harness all that energy and use it as something good. Because yes. Alex and Aiden are both great examples because they do things that I like in their training. They don't do stupid shit. They, you know, they don't hype them. I mean, Alex, Alex is, is an example of being a very confident lifter who's very sure of himself and does talk his shit, but still doesn't do the, okay, I'm going to put, I'm going to do a strap single deadlift because I know that's going to get reposts and I know I could get a whole lot of fuse on my page and get a lot of traffic out of my page. He doesn't do that stuff. He's very disciplined with his training. 
Same thing with Aiden. Aiden, not as a big of a shit talker. Very, very polite boy. One of my favorite people. Very sweet boy, Aiden. Um, but he's has the 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 goals to be that open primetime lifter, which he can definitely do. But his training is very smart. Even when you just converse with him and he sends you videos or we're in a group chat, he's like, hey, so how's this looking? What RP is this? Uh, what do you think my jump should be? How do you guys take your jumps? And this is for like an RP7. We're not talking about a max here. He's asking how we take our jumps for an RP7. And he's asking the right people, people who are experienced in the sport. That's a sign of maturity with a young lifter. And when you combine all those things, you might just get one of the best lifters of all time in four or five years. Yeah. So those guys aren't really falling off. Both Alex and Aiden are great examples of someone early specializing, but doing it in the right way. Like they, they're not maxing out. They're not YOLOing. They're getting a lot of sub-maximal gains with higher volumes to produce the muscular gains, and the technique proficiency that's then going to translate over to making them a great lifter over the long run. So, um, and really, I mean, there, I, I don't want to take out any coaches because there's lots of coaches who coach different like teenage phenoms. But the, the two that really come to mind are Sean and Joey. They're the ones that yeah. seem to be coaching the most like teen phenoms. And uh, they're both great with it, but I think they do it in a little different way. Um, I think Sean in a good way, kind of, I, I would probably, even though I, I very much, I would say I'm closer to how Joey trains than like not close to him. Like I, we have, we have very similar philosophies. Sean, I don't see kind of doing, he doesn't do singles year round yeah. and, and kind of something I would say, and just my own philosophy, because I've had this with my team lifters is, do we really need to be hitting weekly singles year round? Mm-hmm. Now, I think Joey does a great job with his lifters of keeping them in the pocket because it, it, he creates this atmosphere that you're supposed to, and it works great for them. That's why I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm sandbagging or going off on Joey on doing singles. It's the issue that what he has like four or five people that are kind of these teen sensations that then get the hundreds of other teen sensations wanting to do weekly singles and making every single one an RPE 10. Yeah. And that's where I, I probably, in my coaching philosophy, kind of bias a little bit towards Sean because I think he doesn't – I don't know if he does this for a reason or does this for the same reason I would, is he doesn't give weekly singles so that it doesn't kind of lead to that. Like it, it kind of holds you back so that you can't – because King of Lift doesn't post a five rep max at a six RPE. They're not going to yeah. post that. They're going to post you hitting a, a YOLO single or a crazy single or just a very impressive single at like a six or seven RPE like a lot of Joey's guys do. Um, it kind of holds it back a little bit to make sure your entire uh, – What's the right word for it? Uh, your entire identity as a lifter is what can you hit as a single at an RP 10? Yeah. Like your identity as a lifter is there's a process to it. There's more to just doing a single. And so that's kind of my thing there is like, I would bias towards not doing as many singles with these team lifters for that reason. So that it's not all about clout and all about that kind of stuff. It's more about the development of your training in totality. Um, so like I said, nothing against Joey, it obviously is working really well. He keeps in the pocket, but I think it's more, we see people trying to copy that yeah. and they do a terrible job of copying it. I, I mean, I, that's, you hit the nail right in the head there, because if you think that the, the flex boys and girls around powerlifting aren't the most impressionable people in powerlifting, you're insane. Super impressionable. Like people mimic and copy them all the time. They want to be one of them. They want to be as cool as them. That's why so many people pick up anime. I credit Joey Flex to being one of the big reasons why so many young powerlifters all of a sudden just love anime. Because they're impressionable. A lot of powerlifters, especially young ones, are impressionable. So yes, if they see Russ, uh, Sean Mills, I mean if you're using some of the younger guys, uh, Sean Mills, uh, Alex, Lucky Luciano, Lucklow, 
um, all these guys hit these awesome singles, yeah, people are going to emulate it because that's what the sport is. Emulation. Very impressionable. Mm -hmm. And especially when you talk about Flex. And it's nothing that he's doing wrong. It's the fact that he's actually so popular. So popular that it's going to cause a trickle-down effect. And it's going to end up poorly for a lot of lifters who are going to stagnate their uh, progress because of that. Um, Yeah, it's the same people as people copying West Side. You're not, you're not doing West Side. You're doing your own bastardized version of it where you're just putting chains slash reverse bands slash you're in briefs to a high box and hitting a PR to post on Instagram to say you squatted 1,000 pounds even though, like, you had, like, 500 pounds in the bottom and you squatted high. Like, it's just, like, that, that it's people bastardizing what actually worked for someone yeah. to then get clout. And that's what we're seeing with a lot of teens is bastardizing what a lot of other coaches do with these singles – and then thinking, okay, I've just got to, I've got to do something crazy, or else I'm not going to get any attention. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, for sure. And I actually think, I don't know what your opinion, because I'm not a coach, but um, I think removing RP some of, for those younger lifters is might be a good thing, and go based off percentages, yeah. like strict percentages, so, and not RP, because uh, it, that is that is definitely a thing. Um, that is something that, especially with those lifters, they have to gain my trust and like. Maybe we'll introduce RP just for the top set, but percentage-based backdowns. Maybe we're just doing RP on one day. RP is a great thing, but mm-hmm. it's in the eye of the beholder if they're going to be responsible enough for it. Is an eight RPE single for a lot of teens or juniors is a ten RPE single every single time? Yeah. Or a six RPE is eight RP. Like uh, one person that's always given credit for like they do the program is Mikey Davis. He yeah. Is, he is the epitome of what flex training is supposed to be is if you're given a six RPE single, it's a six RPE single. Like that's what it's meant to be. Um, so yeah, hundred percent that like, if I have one lifter who's younger, they have to earn the right to do RPE. They have to give me enough trust to be able to do it. And there are some lifters that they get some RPE stuff, they abuse it. And then I pull it right back and I take it away because mm. they, they have to be able to earn the trust and, and not just lift for Instagram. Yeah. Lifters losing RP privileges, I think is more so in that younger demographic. I don't think mm-hmm. there are there are you know people in their mid twenties who are in the open who possibly lose their RP privileges, but yeah, I think a lot of teenagers uh, like all right, we're not you, we, we gave you a gift in RP and now we're gonna take it away because you're just being super irresponsible with it. Yep, or giving like I, I I like to give ranges, so expect like if I even if I'm gonna give, all my lifters for the most part for the most part I probably like say. 95% of the lifters that I have that do RPE based stuff, I still give a range. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them I say that's a loose range and you can go outside of that. And then some of them I say that is a hard range. You do not go outside of that, even if it doesn't satisfy the, like that's your range you're going to be in in the RPE. So that's something you can do as well with a lot of those younger lifters that I would ri- highly recommend is if you give a seven RPE single, you give a range and they can't go outside of that, even if it's going to be too easy. And that's just a great thing. Like, okay, you're stronger. It's awesome. That moved easier than it was supposed to be. I'll increase the range next week. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Actually me, me and Joe have done that recently. That's just like we were struggling with RP um, last time when I was prepping for the Midwest prime time. And it's like, all right, let's hit a range here. And if you're falling within that range, you're good. Uh, because mm-hmm. I, we were going, most of the time we we're going a little bit too under. That was the problem. So, and I would just constantly ask questions like, all right, just give you a range and then it'll, uh, medi- it'll, it'll fix all those things. It's, it's almost like, I think a lot of times with these younger lifters, it's almost like hitting from a tee in baseball. Like when you tell a 17 year old to hit from a tee to work on some things, they're insulted. They think that it's a, 
like they're getting demoted or something, or it's like, oh, you, you don't, you don't think I could hit a ball off a tee? You don't think I could swing a bat? It's like, no, we're, we're working on something specific here. That's why we're having you work on a tee. Same thing with when a coach gives you a specific number to hit and takes away your RP privileges. Like, no, mm-hmm. we're, we're trying to work on something here for bigger. You have the capabilities. You're just not executing the way you need to do it. And it could be a mental thing, and that's why we're giving you the T right now. And then when you get, like, a 27-year-old Major League Baseball player who's, like, an all-star, and they tell him to work on the T, they're like, okay, yeah, sure. Their ego's gone because they're older, and they're like, they know that it's going to lead to something greater. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I posted about this before. Some of my lifters, some of my best lifters, the top ones, strength-wise and accomplishment-wise, are the ones that just do what you say. Like, there's no arguing. Okay. Even if you say something that me and I agree with, I'm going to do it. You're the coach. I said that you're going to do it. Where we get a lot of uh, teenagers that think they know better. Mm-hmm. That because their their buddy did it or someone on Instagram did it, that they know better. Um, they can learn a little bit from the actual lifters who are at the top. Most of those are extremely, extremely disciplined um, and accountable and coachable. Um, and that's why they're where they're at because they listen and they actually do what they're told to do. Yeah, and you know what? I, I think um, I think athletic background helps a lot with that too. Um, I know mm-hmm. you know you've said it, Noriega said it. I think uh, Joe Sanic has said in the past. People who have an athletic background are easier to coach because yeah. they've gone through some of those some of those struggles that an athlete has to go through. Um, and then the two guys you've mentioned. Um, I know Aiden has had some sport background with uh, track and field and football, but Alex is a collegiate soccer player. So he's, I believe he's performing at a pretty high level with his other sport, and that will definitely make him more coachable, make him more disciplined. He might not seem it, Alex, Mm -hmm. just if you go on his Instagram, might seem like your classic USAPL teenage lifter, teen to junior lifter, but when you look at his training, yeah, he, he has some discipline there. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the two things: is coaching. Okay, they're more coachable because they're used to being coached. And then two, um, uh, a lot of these teenage lifters haven't experienced the hard uh, and the downfalls and the, the not great times of powerlifting. They yeah. just experience the constant gains. Um, if they have an athletic background, they've experienced losing. They've experienced not being on good teams. They probably ex- they probably experienced injury. If you play football, you're not making it through high school football unscathed unless you're sitting on the bench. Um, so they've experienced those things that they're going to experience in powerlifting. So they tend to react better to those mm-hmm. and not be as, uh, uh, right. the right word for it. Neurotic in the sense of kind of like, Oh, I, I, my, my left quad hurts. My lifting career is over. I'm, I'm announcing my retirement. And then a week later, dude, it feels great. It's all back. I, I and yeah, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. they tend to be a little less neurotic because they've dealt with those things before. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I, I've, I, I mean, it's been said so many times in powerlifting, but even if you look at the top guys now who didn't find specialization at an early point in their lives, Russ Orhe was a very high-level competitive athlete. He played a collegiate mm-hmm. football at Texas Tech. Taylor Atwood, I believe, had a stint in Canadian Football League. Very good collegiate football player himself. Sean Noriega was a collegiate baseball player. Like, a lot of these guys you see have had some sort of athletic background. Even, I mean... It doesn't need to even be at a collegiate level. It could be high school. I think the yeah. stuff that – I mean, Austin Perkins, uh, he was a terrific football player. I remember he posted his highlight tape 
on uh, Instagram. It's it's legit. He was a legitimately good athletic football player. Um, I mean, I, I even go back to my high school days where I wasn't a high-level athlete, but I, I mean, handling failure, I think a lot of young lifters are afraid to be embarrassed. They're afraid to fail, and a lot of people are. That's not... So again, a lot of this seems like a knock towards teenage lifters. It's not. These are very natural things that are going to happen to young people and, and, and older advice. people. Yeah, it's advice. Um, uh, it's going to give us a quick shout out. I think Matt Cronin. I think he made a video a couple months back, kind of just stating these things. I'm like, okay, you're a team. Here's the things you need to do if you want to be successful. Mm-hmm. Because here's what you're going to run into. So yeah, yeah. sorry, I interrupted. But yeah, no, yeah, this that's advice. Not. No, it's perfectly, yeah, perfectly fine. I think. But if you look at the comments of Two Way Lights, I think. Um, there, there could be a little bit of a roasting session going on with a lot of young lifters. Well, but. that goes back to some of these lifters being very cocky at yeah. 16 years old. And so if you're going to be cocky, you're probably going to get some some rebuttals from that. So Yeah, for sure. I But I think I just, you know, going back to my college, I mean, uh, my high school experience of football, like I failed daily at football. I got, you know, you, you were you were going to lose some, ba- especially if you're not a star player, you're going to lose battles. You're going to lose you're going to lose a one-on-one in practice that is an embarrassing feeling because you're 17 years old and you're embarrassed by pretty much everything at that age. But, and then even when you go in the game time, you, when you know you fuck up on a play and you know you're going to get blown up on film the next day and you have to deal with the coach yelling at you in front of all your friends, you know, possibly insults thrown, it's an embarrassing, failing um, feeling that you're going to have. Mm-hmm. But once you experience that, like I always said, powerlifting was the easiest transition for me because I didn't have to be embarrassed by a bunch of my teammates because I didn't have any teammates. I didn't have, I didn't, I wasn't letting anyone down by me because I didn't have anyone to let down aside from myself. Powerlifting was an easy thing, and it was constructed through athletic experience. I mean, baseball was another example. Like making an error, making an error in a game, that's a deflating feeling. Or giving up seven runs in an inning. I've done both of these things. Deflating feeling. It's just hard to deal with. And but once you get through all that stuff, you know you're you're going to develop some character from it. And whatever journey you pick, it might not even be sport related. It will help you in the long run dealing with failure and dealing with this moments of complete embarrassment. Yeah, and it'll help too because I mean, like I'm just opinion. Powerlifting's not that hard. Nope. It, it's not a that complicated sport and it's a pretty easy sport in the sense of kind of what we do. So if you've done collegiate sports, that was a much harder thing to deal with in the sense of all the things that go into it. So powerlifting is a very easy thing to kind of transition to because that's literally you, you probably in a sense kind of power lifted as part of your training for that sport. Now you just get to do what you did to train for it. Like it's just one element of it. It's, 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 it's fairly simple in that aspect. So yeah, I think there's a lot of things that kind of athletics then help to kind of translate in the sense of the mentality of, of what is powerlifting and leading into it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, for sure. But also I think that um, based on what we've seen on the comments, which a lot of it is factual, what we're seeing because we have seen some evidence of people dropping off. There is a way I mean, there is a way to find out if a lifter is high on piss and vinegar or they're in it for the long run. And I think I think you can just tell that. You can tell it through the eyes. I mean, it took some experience for me to really know who's in it for the long run and who's just in it for the clout and Instagram fame. But it, it is there. And I do see, I think Evan Glasgow, who himself is a phenomenal teenage lifter, 
And, you know, mm-hmm. in the comments, section, he's like, well, I see a lot of people who are a bit jealous. Like, I, you can't really determine, predetermine someone success three to four years from now. And you can't. He's absolutely right. You can't do that. Because they might think of college. Maybe they're a cocky little clout lifter in high school, and then they get to college and they grow up. It could be literally the opposite. Literally, it could be the opposite of things, where they actually grow up and they mature. Yeah. So, yeah, or, yeah, that's... Team lifters, you are going to change in college. Yeah. You might not believe me, but you are going to change as a human being yeah. greatly. So. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, again, uh, it's been the point, but the only... The only thing that makes this different from all the other sports that you could play is the fact that just you're not going to be able to make a living off it. It just looked yeah. at as a hobby, and a lot of times it is a hobby. Most of the times it is. And, like, I've seen this example a lot, and I've seen it personally before where a lifter gets a girlfriend, and the girlfriend is just not – or boyfriend. Let's, let's throw boyfriend in this. I'm trying to be gender neutral here. They're just not – into the fact that you spend two hours or three hours of your day at a gym preparing for a sport no one watches or you don't get paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very lucky in that sense because my girlfriend thinks powerlifting is awesome. She doesn't compete in powerlifting, but she thinks it's awesome that I do it. She loves the fact that I am able to balance that and my other stuff or perform at something at a high level, but it's not always the case. It always can something be bringing you down, and if that's if the person is doing that, and you decide, you know, my relationship is way more important than powerlifting, you might have to make a sacrifice there. Yeah, and one thing to bring up because you just kind of did—we already talked about this—is we're not trying to leave the ladies out of this conversation. Yeah. It's just that they don't apply in the same way. And that's yeah. for two reasons: one, the female team lifters don't act like the male team lifters. <laughs> They don't. And well, you're laughing because it's hilarious. Well, yeah, no, but it's, it's, it's funny because they don't <laughs> at all. It doesn't apply in the same way. Two, uh, we don't see as many women getting into it in the teenage age because it's usually something that is spurred on uh, later on in life. Because just for the most part, guys are encouraged to weight lift from a young age. Yeah. Women are not. That, I mean, that's changing to an extent, but for the most part, guys are encouraged from the get-go. You need to lift weights. Yeah, and and um, we're talking about so many people from athletic background. If you're playing yes. track and field and football, which is, I mean, I mean, football male sport, you're probably going to be powerlifting or doing yeah. heavy weightlifting. And so, I, I don't think the the general population of women have are in the same manner of kind of their introduction to weightlifting in the same way as guys. That's why I don't think we see as many women teen lifters. Um, we definitely see, I mean, I think, uh, we, we definitely see a lot more women who get into it for body image, the same as guys too. We get in for body yeah. image. We hundred percent do. Um, and they don't even realize power of things, the thing and they eventually just kind of cycle into it. Um, where I think now, at least on the, on the male end, there are guys that actually get in it to power lift from the day they start lifting, which is something that didn't exist before. And I, I'm not sure women's power lifting is at that point yet. Yeah, it might. I think it might be at that. It might be at that level. But I just think, again, if you just look at a how prototypical seventeen-year-old boy acts to a prototypical seventeen-year-old girl acts, just different personalities. And no, they're yeah. not actually. Uh, Garrett Fear breaking news. Garrett Fear just commented, "Only the ones who don't say they will know my name or something similar to that effect, like it's powerlifting. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, like girls are never posting that." At 17 Jordan years Pantone, old. teen phenom. We don't see her ever talking trash. She just posts her lifts. She stays in the pocket. She does it. She's good. Yeah. 
I, yeah, I guess you could throw, I mean, there's a lot of teenage lifters you could throw in that element where, no, they're not posting a whole lot of, of just them talking shit and being all high in piss and vinegar. Yeah. I, I guess more in the teenage would, like, if they have a social media personality, it's because of how they look. Um, and I, I mean, at an extent they're lifting too, but it's definitely not just calling out Pug the Goat or fucking Taylor Atwood or all these other people. That's a predominantly male thing. And that's kind of how men are wired to act. So yeah, we're not, we're not trying to exclude women from this, uh, from this conversation. Congratulations. Congratulations to all the females in powerlifting. You're not as cringe as males. Yes. Yeah. It should be a compliment that you're not as included because we're, yeah. So uh, for this, because we have some people in the comments asking, who are some lifters that you've seen kind of just like drop off from the teen division and not really have success either as a or I mean t- that's so teen and junior um, because I think they're interchangeable. Uh, teen and junior division who had a promising future look like they were going to be the next great thing, and then you haven't seen them even really do anything on the open level. Because I know yeah. you have a few, probably, because you have a better like knowledge of the sport. I have yeah. one that comes we, to mind. We did. I, well, we we're talking about this, and I was on the USAPL rankings. They literally just looking at the top teams, and it showed. I mean, from all time, and kind of seeing when they when they were. Um, that's kind of what led to one us talking about how the women don't apply because we couldn't find really any that fit in this category. But I think we pulled up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven that kind of were like, okay. Um, some of them I haven't heard of, but if we're looking at like where they ranked, they ranked super high, and now they just don't really lift anymore yeah um eric johnson he's from back in like 2015 he did a couple meets he peaked in his first meet and it looks like he bombed out of a meet and then just stopped competing uh sawyer yandel i think he's trying to kind of make a comeback that was an injury thing um he was a very promising teen i think he won junior worlds at 66 and then he had this patella issue and had that surgery um and i'm just not sure he's ever kind of got kind of got back to where he was so that was kind of an injury thing but i know he's at least still involved in the sport versus some just kind of dropping off um owen tomazuski hadn't heard of him competed once never competed again um Austin Strader, that was one I remember. I don't know if he's still lifting, but he back in 2018, I remember he started posting and he was like 18 years old and doing some just silly things as a 93 kilo lifter. Um, and then he just kind of dropped off. I haven't really heard of him much. He, it looks like he, he hit a 787.5 total in 2018. And ever since then, it's kind of been uh, down from there. Um, Josh Peardot, um, he was actually on the Midland team. Uh, and he uh, failed a drug test. I believe that was for a stimulant from like a pre-workout. Um, and then I don't see him. I looked at you know open powerlifting. He hasn't gone to USPA or done anything. I don't know what his plan is. Maybe he's waiting out until his 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 band's over from the stimulant. But he was a, a top uh, ninety three or one hundred five lifter and hasn't been around since two thousand eighteen. Um, one that I think he's still around. We're kind of ever, I think this is probably the most famous one we're going to talk about that I think he's still around. He, he made a random IG appearance the other day is Mason Cabney. Yeah. He posted that he still is alive. He's just not posting. I think probably what we're seeing is some, in some manner in a, in a mature way, he may have realized that Instagram was not a, a conducive thing for his life, um, which I think I, a lot of junior lifters and team lifters need to realize that Instagram is taking over things. Um, so he may still be very much in the mix. I don't want to rule him out, but he was obviously a huge phenom. He was even as an open lifter, unbelievably competitive. We just haven't heard from him since 2019. And then the one you brought up, I actually had never heard of him, 
Dylan Brash. Yeah, Dylan Brash. And also, I got to go back to Mason Cabney. I really hope he comes back because that is, like, legit my favorite lifter. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Seriously, one of the guys that I started watching really early into my powerlifting career was me. I was – he was so technically proficient and an incredible powerlifter, too. You know, junior world champion, coached by Noriega. You know, we failed to mention that on the player-coach uh, – or the uh, coach – comparison with the uh, football teams that yeah. he had, you know, Mason Cabney under him and he was an incredible lifter and hopefully still is because again, that's that like a little fandom thing for me. Like he was one of the first lifters that I watched and I was like, what the fuck? I didn't know people could do this. And I didn't know people could make it look that easy, technically efficient um, and just super. Uh, why you grew your hair out? What's up? Is that why you grew your hair out? Uh, no, I had better That's hair. Nice. I had probably better hair than him when I was 18 than he had when he was like 20. I had some long ass hair back in college. That was pretty sweet. Now it's like professional long, but mine was, mine was like almost unrivaled, but uh, still is actually. I still think I have better hair than him at least, but yeah, I hope he comes back just, uh, just as a personal thing. I've talked about him on two white lights a lot because, um, yeah, they, seriously, one of my favorite lifters, but Dylan Brace, I think, is the absolute perfect thing. Uh, Diesel Santana, he was on two white lights, and for a stint, he was super hot, like, in the powerlifting community. He was lifting crazy weights, he was super young, super raw, you know, he was just competing, his first year, he was just throwing up, like, a 700-pound squat, 700-pound deadlift, and he was just yanking that shit up. Um, and like the, everything was there. The leverages were there. He was going to be good in all three lifts and you know, uh, big, big time shit talker, super, super bright. I mean, brash about everything. No, don't mind the pun, but he was just a very in your face type lifter. And he was getting reposted on all the big pages, King list, powerlifting motivation. And I don't think he did the right things he needed to do to have continuous growth in the sport. And when that growth kind of stopped for him, and it was early too, because there's no way a natural guy, and he was natty, no way a natural guy can just continuously throw up this weight without any sort of substance and work. I mean, he flat out said on two white lights, he didn't bench press. He didn't bench press because no one wanted to see him bench. It wasn't going to get him, it wasn't going to get him numbers on Instagram. It wasn't going to mm-hmm. get traffic to his page. So we just neglected that entire part of his training and you know he came into usapl didn't do great his first meet uh and it was pretty hyped too and then at raw nationals just didn't compete and i think uh, he's a good friend of mine i like the guy a lot but i think that's the perfect example of someone who had a lot of potential and i think a mix of the instagram the social media stuff not understanding what to do when the girl stops, not taking proper training precautions, stops those team phenoms from really progressing. Because, I mean, I think if he wanted to lift tomorrow, if he wanted to compete, sign up for me tomorrow, he would still be a junior. Because when I knew him, he was like 20. So he would still be in a very young age of his powerlifting career. But I think all the stuff that he assumed was going to come to him, didn't happen. That's why he's out. And that's someone I knew personally, and that's why I bring him up, because it was almost like too good of an example not to bring up. 
it was the mix of just the social media, probably trying to balance a job on top of that, and then two, not having the success you think you're going to have and mm -hmm. getting out of the sport completely from that. Yeah. And that's some, like the people that are going to last, and a lot of those we talked about are power lifters. Yeah. The ones that like are probably the most cringe, they don't even power lift. They just throw on a deadlift bar with bumpers and straps because they learn from Evan Cardone. If you're stupid enough, you can get posted, reposted on King of the List because not only is it impressive, but people are going to troll you. And King of the List wants people to come troll because it increases comments and then it increases outreach. I mean, a lot of these cringe ones are just people who have one lift that they just kind of do really good, and they're just social media lifters, and they're not even true power lifters. And we can pretty—I I feel pretty confident saying that they're not going to be around in three or four years. Yeah. Um, the ones who are actually powerlifting—they're trying to actually be something in the sport. A lot of Sean's lifters, a lot of Joey's lifters, Aiden—they um, have a very good shot, not only because they have the guidance, but because they're powerlifting. Like, um, I don't want to—I mean, this can be an argument of kilo plates and comp specificity. But I think a, 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 almost a, a way of maturity for team lifters is using kilo plates at an Ohio power bar Yeah, um, is because that's limiting their potential to be able to clout lift. It, it's meaning they're actually training to be a power lifter versus training for what can make me look cool on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was that, that's a transition you just see a lot of lifters do. And that's, it's, it's, it, that is what you said, a sign of maturity, is getting yourself in the right situation to be successful. And that's going to take a hit at your ego. Uh, once you start lifting on the, the, the 20 kilo bar and the kilo plates, your ego is going to take a bit of a hit. It happened to me. And I was three, I was two or three years into the sport when I first started training with the, uh, the pound or the uh, competition specific equipment. It hurt my ego a little bit. I'm like, Oh, I don't have as much leverage on my deadlift anymore. Uh Oh, <laughs> like that's, yeah. if I don't have leverage on my deadlift, um, I'm, I'm all of a sudden not a good lifter. And I guess, a squ I mean, squat and bench, like, the transition is pretty easy for me. But, yeah, it, it, it hurts your ego a little bit. But if if your identity is solely based on how much you can deadlift, yeah, it's it's going to. And that's really all there in a lot of young people. That is their identity because they don't have a profession just yet. Their identity is quite literally powerlifting. Yeah. Or their Instagram. Yeah, but – um. I mean, unless you have anything else to add, uh, the comments are still flowing in, which are which are some good ones. A lot of people have thoughts on this one, but yeah, I I, I think only time will tell. And I think we mentioned, you know, the team lifters who I, I think we're, are going to stay in the sport for a little bit longer. I gotta look at these. I haven't looked at the comments in like the last hour or so. Um. Oh, by the way, people commenting on two white lights. I love your guys' enthusiasm to cope, uh, to like type out a bunch of words, but I can't read your shit on air if it's a bunch of words. It's <laughs> too many words to read, and I'm not doing it right now. So, like, if you're gonna type a novel to me, thank you. I appreciate your thoughts. I'm gonna paraphrase a lot of it. Actually, pretty much all of it, because your Instagram comments probably should never be 150 words or more. Are you trolling on my captions that are go seven comments into the post? You, are you, making fun of me? you and Michael Cole Di Pietro have to learn how to use less words. No, I'm not. That's my niche. That's my. <laughs> I literally do it on purpose. I, I know. I have built my entire business around doing that on purpose and making unbelievably long YouTube videos because there's a niche oh. who wants that. Oh, unbelievably long YouTube videos work. 
me trying to stay on your actually the multiple post story thing makes sense to me michael cole DiPietro, don't know if you are listening when you post anything on your story and it's just all the words on that one specific story i'm like what how, how did you even stay on there how did you focus this how did you type out all those words put it in a specific place then type out another set of words put it in a specific place his captions are his stories are 400 words paste. what's that type it in the email and then you copy and paste oh. i hope okay. he's i mean you're still otherwise that would be a nightmare to have to like sit there and write all that on your phone all right well i guess that 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 makes more sense to me now even though you're still typing out 500 words as well as there's, I didn't even know this. I asked, it was actually, I think it was Josh or Zach from Data Driven Strength. I was yeah. like, how do you guys have these long captions, but they're always perfectly fitting? Because I just just write it and I just post it and do whatever. There's an app you can have and it will make sure it fits your caption in the exact number of words that you can then copy and paste from that caption. I didn't know that existed. So, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, I, I, don't, I actually don't know your Instagram commenting uh, habits. Um, my posts, just how long they are. Oh no, no, your po- So here's the thing: posts are fine. Stories, okay. If it's a little worry, wordy, I'm like, I'm probably gonna scroll right through it. But Instagram comments, if you're commenting on Two White Lights thing, like maybe we should learn a little bit of a skill of uh, paraphrasing. Um, as a teacher, I like to say wordiness. Let's get rid of some of the wordiness here and some of the fluff maybe reduce that to the main points that you're trying to get across here because I can't read all this stuff on two white lights. I'll lose myself. I'll lose myself in thought reading all this. I mean, I, I still try to, I, I'm not going to lie, man. When you, when you make a story post, I read some of them, but other, I'm like, Nope, not, not reading all this today. <laughs> no, nah, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Instagram. I'm trying to read. Yeah. Trying no, to... I, I get that. I hundred percent get that. You got about, Point five seconds to gain someone's attention on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, which is funny because a little inside baseball on this one too. Uh, Steve usually comes up with all the two white lights topics based on the words, and he's the one who like reduces it to the simplest amount of words to fully get the message across. It's not me; it's him. I'm the one who has to cut down the wordiness on top. That doesn't. Not, that, I don't know how I do that because that is not one of my skills. I'm just yeah. trying to click as much as possible. I yeah. just think, what is clickbait? Yeah, all of them. So you're like the best at finding clickbait. Seconds. So if you call out teens, I knew that was going to be clickbait. So that was a great topic because they were all going to see that and, and and hear the view or want to hear the perspective of us uh, calling out their antics. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, because all of them so far that I've said. They're all like topics that we brainstormed. This is you coming up with the uh, the just a very simple one sentence uh, topic that is very clickbait worthy. So I got he. I, I guess I can't really speak on that because you're the one who's coming up with all the topics. And Leffler Bros is the one producing the amazing graphics. Yeah, I'm really Correct. doing nothing in this. <laughs> really, yeah. really just kind really of the guy. Like you're just you're just sitting back and letting us develop all the clout for you. Yep. That's what, that's what happens when you develop so much clout for yourself already. You get to get people you to hire do it people for to you. Get, yeah, you just you just bring on more people for more fat. You have so yeah, I get that. You have so much clout, you don't even need to bring the clout anymore. Yeah, it's like I got to get people to do this. Like comedians who write jokes for their entire lives, they have other people write their jokes after a while. They're like, I'm not going to yeah. write jokes anymore. Why would I do you, that? You earn, doing you earn that right. <laughs> you earn that right. Yeah, yeah, the highly prestigious clout right. All right, well, uh, that's we'll hype up our next topic. 
What's up? We want to hype up our next topic? Well, I mean, I don't even know if it's a topic. I, I just think I was going to congratulate you because I think you're starting something in powerlifting here. Texas Strain Systems, their next meet in February, has a primetime session, and I think you're the guy to uh, to thank for that because USAPL has never seen that. I don't want to dive into it too much, but I want to. I, I, I know we're going to talk about the next stuff, maybe the opener, not the full topic, but we'll talk about a little bit is the Texas Strain Systems primetime and why this is the perfect example of when to do it. Because actually, my meet was not a great example of when to do it. My meet's not super repeatable because it made no money. Yeah. Meets that have 120 lifters, pulling a primetime session out of that, is so repeatable. All these state meets, all these meets with 80 plus lifters, so easy to pull a prime time session out of it. Put that in there, highlight these lifters, make it more viewable. Because um, who was it? Going back to uh, making powerlifting mainstream, I think it was uh, Bryce Krawcheck. Um, he made a post kind of in the sense of the mainstream stuff. Um, and, to, and the arch too. He's like, take your grandma to a powerlifting meet. And is she going to complain about the arch and the sumo deadlift? No, she's going to complain about why it went from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Yeah. What's the average length of a sporting event? Three hours. We have three hours. So what does that mean? One flight. Yeah. We have time for one flight for viewership. So if you want to do that and you want to get viewership and powerlifting, one flight, make it a primetime session. It's as much as you're going to be able to garner attention from someone because no one has time to sit down for 12 hours and pick out one lifter from each flight to watch throughout the entire day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess Gage, uh, Gage Carrion's grandma apparently has an issue with the bench archers and the sumo deadlifts, <laughs> but you know, um, I guess I guess uh, more grandmas out there are probably mad that the powerlifting meet does last an, an eternity for a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. And that was echoed. Like a lot of people did say they don't want to sit through a five-hour meet. And true, no one wants. I don't sit through five-hour meets. I really don't. I don't do it. And I'm a competitive powerlifter who loves the sport. And I often go. I'm like, all right, I'm going to get lunch somewhere. I'm going to go somewhere to eat. And I'm going to miss, you know, an entire flight because of that. So. Yeah, I agree, and but I will say because I think, I think uh, the only reason why it's happening is because you have done it. I think you laid the groundwork, even though it wasn't the way that you wanted it to be with Midwest Primetime. It wasn't the exact thing you were trying to get across. I think your idea, your actions have caused something here, and you get something like Texas Strain Systems to continue to do a meet like that. You're going to see it elsewhere. I'm excited yeah. for that. I'm excited when they. I really, really think, and this isn't because it's me. I really think that this idea could be huge. If yeah. Meet and it can be meets all around the country can easily implement it, and it's going to make it so much easier um, because it's going to make it so much easier to watch. I mean, I, I'm going to I'm going to make one more comment before I go on a tangent and ruin our next episode and give all the information away. But like the Super City meet you were just at, yeah. I viewed into that, but it was kind of I couldn't sit there the entire day and watch it. Yeah. If I knew Jamal and the best lifters were in this time slot from 2 to 5 p.m. in one flight, I may have planned my day to watch those three hours. Yeah, and you do that for I know Sean, Ashton, and all these lifters are lifting from 6 to 9 p.m., which is what the current plan is, I think. I can plan my day to watch that for three hours yeah. versus if they're in the rest of the meet and it's a 12-hour long day, you can't plan that. You just got to nope. hopefully like hop in occasionally, but – we need these three-hour time windows of these best lifters because that's going to allow people to actually sit down and watch it. Yeah. Which, guess what? If that happens, then there's more sponsorship opportunities because there's more viewing. Then there's more sponsors. There's more money. There's more money than the, it, just a domino effect of what happens. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I mean, that's how every sporting event works. They give you a select time when you're going to watch, and then you watch it for that select period of time. Like yep. that's, that's how you, I mean, I organize my day based on how, when the bears are, I organize my Sunday based on when the bears are playing. 
It's at noon. Bears are losing. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I said playing loosely. Like, they're going to be, quote-unquote, playing football. Um, They they definitely do that. But, you know, noon, 3.15, or 7 o'clock. I schedule my Sundays around that because I can't – like, it was awesome the days I got to watch the entire slate of NFL Sunday. But once you're – Number one question on Super City's live stream, it was not – I literally messaged Al. I was like – I messaged him. I was like, hey, when's Jamal going to lift? Yeah, just to like that was my because it was just nonstop. When Jamal gonna whip? I mean, Garrett did a great job, but like, yeah, could have been a good idea to make it next level. To say, okay, here's our primetime session. It's from two to five. That's when Jamal's lifting. Yeah, no, I, answer I that mean, question. answer that question for us. Don't let us have to figure out when he, those these lifters are lifting. Tell us when they're lifting. Give us that window and make them lift in that window. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, my job as a comment, I mean, as the announcer of the Super City Circle was to answer when Jamal was lifting and what flight Jamal was in because yes. I would just be I would just be going away commentating I'll be doing my announcing and then I'll get from the live stream when's Jamal lifting like he's on flight D for all people asking he's on flight D and then five minutes later I get another question when's Jamal yep. lifting so it turned into me announcing I I, I mean I announced more times than uh, when he was going to deadlift than how many times he actually deadlifted because he only got, mm-hmm. he only did one deadlift. So I announced he was deadlifting about seventeen times. All that for one deadlift. So yeah, you're absolutely right. It's much easier to do those things, and it's going to be more appropriate for certain meets. Because I don't think the Circle City Super was the most appropriate they time. They didn't have enough, and yeah. also COVID. A lot of people dropped out. Like it was, like it was, it was kind of, it was during that weird second wave of COVID too where a lot of restrictions were happening and a lot of people were deciding not to make the travel, which, and that's another one, like high travel meets right now, they're not going to have a whole lot of people going, but with the Texas train system meet, you got a lot of people, one in Texas, people who are willing to come to Texas. You got a lot of people traveling, uh, people who have either relationships with TSS or a lot of lifters who are competing, there are competing. So um, it, that one is to me way more appropriate to do a prime time and they're doing it. Yep. And yep. make it standard. Let's make it like that. This is what you do when you have a big a, a meet with a ton of lifters and enough to be able to make a primetime session. It needs to be standard that we do that across yeah. the country. Yeah. And then if you, if you continue to do that, you're going to raise some eyebrows. You're going to get more eyes in the sport. You're going to create publicity. And you know what is another good way to create publicity? Do a breakdown show. Yeah, breakdown show. Yes, we said we do a show. If people do this, we'll keep hyping it up. If some, if you got if people are going to do primetime sessions, we're going to keep hyping it. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. So, and for this one, we're telling the uh, listeners right now. For um, actually, I, and also, I'm actually doing a shitty job already because I don't know what the exact title of this meet is because I know it's not the TSS meet. It has a very specific Texas, title. Texas Strength Systems Classic. Is it the? Actually, you know, my friend Caleb. Shout out, Caleb, one of the best yeah. uh, spotters. Texas Strength Classic. All right, Texas Strength Classic. All right, so doing the breakdown for the Texas Strength Classic, we are going to do one for the primetime session. We're not going to do the entire meet. Also, you know, maybe who we – because I don't think the entire primetime roster has been released. Uh, an episode on who we think should be in the primetime or who we're expecting to see in the primetime. And maybe if there are some snubs, we can talk about that too. Highlight the lifters, the many lifters who are competing at this – because the reason why there's a primetime session, there's a high, lot of high-level lifters competing at this thing yeah. that we could talk about. 
I may or may not have went through all 152 and searched them on openipf.org and written down, uh, I have 24 lifters who are possibly deserving of primetime spots. 24? All right, that is a good... I have all their GL scores. I have everything written out here. Really? You did that? That doesn't sound like you. No, I never do that kind of stuff. Yeah, it doesn't sound like you to go and go on Open IPF and really uh, put their numbers in a Google spreadsheet in a, like a two-hour time frame because I think I messaged you this morning and then you're like, all right, I got it. I'm like, I just told you about <laughs> this. I was like, I was just, I was, I was in the middle of social studies to science when I messaged you this. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't even come in from social studies yet. All right, all right, we're cool. But yeah, you did it, and um, it breakdowns. I love breakdowns. I love breakdowns, and I know people want to hear these breakdowns. So I'm excited, man. Yeah, we'll 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 hype it up next session. We'll hype it up next episode in that opener. Talk about it a little bit more, and maybe we'll get a little more info by then on the prime ten session. But if not, we've got all the lifters who deserve it. All right, fantastic! I can't wait to do that. That's gonna do it for this episode of Two White Lights. Uh, stay tuned um for monday we have a potential interview lined up guest to be determined um and we'll see you guys next week peace